Well, if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn with me tonight to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. And then also, if you want to turn to the back of the hymnal, to page 925. The Westminster Confession of Faith, <clears throat> chapter 8, we continue to study about Jesus Christ as our mediator. Second Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the opportunity to study tonight. May, Lord, we profit from what we hear and teach. May your Spirit be the primary teacher and instructor. May our minds be illumined. May our hearts be tender. May our wills be pliable. And may we Bear the image of Christ more for what we hear tonight. In Jesus' name we're asking, amen. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. <clears throat> and then on page 925 in the back of the hymnal, in section 5 of chapter number 8 of Christ the Mediator, section 5, The Lord Jesus, by His perfect obedience and sacrifice of Himself, which He, through the eternal Spirit, once offered up unto God, hath fully satisfied the justice of his Father, and purchased not only reconciliation, but an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven for all those whom the Father hath given unto him. Although the work of redemption was not actually wrought by Christ till after his incarnation, yet the virtue, efficacy, and benefits thereof were communicated unto the elect in all ages successively from the beginning of the world in and by those promises, types, and sacrifices wherein he was revealed and signified to be the seed of the woman which had bruised the serpent's head and the lamb slain from the beginning of the world, <clears throat> being yesterday, today, and today the same and forever." Christ, in the work of mediation, acts according to both natures, by each nature, doing that which is proper to itself. Yet, by reason of the unity of the person, that which is proper to one nature is sometimes in Scripture attributed to the person denominated by the other nature. To all those for whom Christ hath purchased redemption, he doth certainly and effectually apply and communicate the same, making intercession for them and revealing unto them in and by the word 
the mysteries of salvation, effectually persuading them by his spirit to believe and obey, and governing their hearts by his word and spirit, overcoming all their enemies by his almighty power and wisdom in such manner and ways as are most consonant to his wonderful and unsearchable dispensation. Amen. Well, tonight we want to look at Paul's appeal uh, to be reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I chose this passage in part because here we see really what is the chief work of Jesus' mediation. Now, mediation or the mediatorial work of Jesus, boys and girls, is pretty simple. It is somebody who's going between two parties that are at enmity with one another. And so what I want you to understand most simply tonight is that Jesus Christ stands between God and ourself. Just like we spoke about this morning when we talked about the high priesthood of Jesus, Jesus being our high priest. He stands between us in his two natures, one person between God and us. He is both God and man. And so he can represent both parties perfectly. He is sinless in his humanity. So he represents us perfectly to the Father. He also shows, uh, he also offers himself as a perfect sacrifice because of his perfection in his humanity. He's also fully God. And so when we behold Jesus, uh, we behold uh, the, the God who, who sent him, that uh, the Father said from heaven, this is my son, listen to him. All that the Father has given unto me, um, I lose none. And so there is this relationship between the Father and the Son that is such that when we hear Christ's words, when we see Christ's actions, we are seeing what the Father himself would do. Now, two thoughts tonight on this mediatorial work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, from verse 20, we see how the Apostle Paul urges Christians and those who maybe are on the periphery of the church to be reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's important, that we come to God through Jesus. Secondly, from verse 21, we see the reconciling work of Christ as a mediator in itself. So the first is an exhortation under reconciliation through the mediator, Jesus. And the second is where Paul spells out that reconciling work. So let's look at these two parts here. First of all, verse 20. If you look at your Bible, again, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, Paul here is speaking, of course, as an apostle. The apostles spoke for Christ by way of the Spirit. They are the special authors of the New Testament. And they also had seen the Lord Jesus Christ, according to Acts chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, that the apostles were those who were with him in the beginning. Remember when Matthias took the place of Judas of Iscariot. They laid out the qualifications there for the apostle. Now, um, 
Paul, as an apostle and an elder, is doing what here? He's appealing to the Corinthians to be reconciled to God. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Notice that what is at view here. There is enmity here between two parties. And there is need for reconciliation through these two parties. Paul is saying, we as apostles are entreating you or begging you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God in Jesus Christ. Now, first of all, I think it's interesting that Paul would call to repentance a visible church. Uh, I don't know if you've thought about that for a moment, but what does that tell us here? I think one thing it should tell us is that Paul either viewed some within the visible church of either in a need to be reconciled to God through true conversion or at least to be reconciled in the sense that they had backslidden from the Lord. I don't know which. It might be both. I can imagine if the congregation is quite large in Corinth there that Paul would have maybe multiple applications and implications for what he is saying here. And I think it is by just a way of application, let me say this, that I think it is appropriate for ministers of the gospel, or maybe for those of you who are Sunday school teachers, to urge uh, your audience to faith and repentance, um, that it is appropriate for, for those of you who maybe are heads of households, uh, that we, we not just presume that everyone uh, is in a spiritually safe condition. Now, we don't want to be censorious, of course, and we hope and pray that uh, all that you know, profess Christ are possessing Christ. But nevertheless, uh, this was written to a visible church, visible membership. And Paul is saying, come through the mediator, Jesus, and be reconciled to the Father. There is something amiss in the relationship of some, if not many, in this church, given the history that we know of in the first letter. Uh, there is much amiss here in this congregation. This was a tough church uh, to pastor. Okay, this was, this was, there were some easier ones and there were some tougher ones. And this was one of the harder ones, no doubt. Um, but I think it's appropriate uh, for us to preach the gospel, urge reconciliation, come through the mediator to God. Now, what does that mean for you, me? Well, it means we need to, again, as we saw this morning with Jesus as our high priest, we recommit ourselves to faith in God's Son, that we go to him. We make certain that we are in a reconciled condition as far as we can discern. Um, when, we, when we come to the Lord's table, that we examine ourselves, uh, that we seek to look. Is there something that needs to be tweaked in my life, even if I'm seeking to walk with the Lord purposefully? Um, maybe it's not a full reconciliation that's needed. 
But maybe, maybe there's something amiss. I realized just this week I hadn't paid the guy who sprays the lawn, you know, the hem lawn. And immediately the, the verse of James came to mind about you, those who mow your lawn, the wages cry out against you. <laughs> and I thought, ooh, I better take care of that bill. Uh, there, there are ways that we need to uh, always be improving in our life. But more, even more than that, uh, there, there may be some who need to be converted to Christ, need to be truly in Christ. Uh, and so we examine ourselves. We examine for fruit. But we, we look also at any deficiencies that we see. We want to seek assurance from the Spirit, that we are the children of God. That is, that is to be the norm. Um, that is to be the norm. It, it is not a sign of long-term health if one lacks assurance of faith. Now, people, some Christians do struggle with assurance, and assurance isn't necessarily the same thing as saving faith. There's been debate about that over the centuries. Is assurance an element of saving faith or not? And uh, our confession has sided with the no, that, that they have made a distinction that it is possible to be a true believer in Jesus Christ, yet not have full assurance. But we, we are to want to have assurance. Um, so what do we do to seek a, rec- a reconciled state? Well, Number one, we might want to give ourselves to secret prayer, especially if we've drifted from the Lord, that we re- recommit ourselves to the prayer closet, to uh, spending time alone with God. And Jesus has told us that we beware of performing our deeds of righteousness so as to be seen by men. But he says, do what? Go to a, 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 a secret place where no human eye sees you, and, and there, you'll, there you'll have a blessing from the Father. Secondly, we want to examine our life in the Bible, and we want to seek to gain a lively sense of Jesus Christ in the Scriptures. Christ, being the mediator, is the way to the Father. No man comes to the Father but by me, says Jesus. And so, as a Christian, we want to have a what the Puritans called a lively sense of Christ. Now, what is a lively sense of Christ? Well, I think a lively sense of Christ is an animated faith in him. That is, uh, it is not just a mental assent, but it is a fiduciary trust in him, in the person of him. We are not saved by, for example, we are not saved by the doctrine of justification by faith alone. That is, knowing the doctrine of justification is not the way to the Father. The way to the Father is Christ. We preach Christ. And we urge people to take Christ as a mediator, the one who, as our confession said, is God and man in this one person. And so we want to labor to get a lively sense. How do I get a lively sense? Well, we said secret prayer, but also the scriptures uh, to meditate on passages that warm our heart. 
You know, um, I certainly advocate wide Bible reading. I like the McShane calendar, though it's, a very, it's challenging and, uh, to keep up. But sometimes it's worthwhile just to go down, that is, take a verse and bore down in that verse or meditate on that verse. That sometimes will give you even a, a stronger sense of warmth in your heart. Also, the Bible says that we should make salvation our chief business. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It's one of my life verses, and I got it from my mentor. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Our first business is to go to Christ. Be reconciled to the Father. That means we confess and repent of all known and particular sins, not just confessing sin in general, but also individual particular faults and deficiencies in our life. Examine where we may have an uneasy conscience. Uh, maybe it's about a particular frame of heart that we have or spirit uh, that we carry about within us. Or to see if we be negligent in any known duties with respect to God or his neighbor. We need to remember the warning in Matthew 7 that there are many who call Jesus Lord, Lord, uh, but are truly unknown to him. Those people, no doubt, need to be reconciled to God through the mediator, Jesus Christ. So make certain uh, that Jesus knows you. You know, that's even more important than you knowing Jesus. Did you know that? That Jesus knows you. Um, you know, Jesus doesn't say, you know, we don't say, Lord, Lord. And, they, and Jesus says, doesn't say, you didn't know me. He said, I didn't know you. So it's even more important that we be known by the Lord. And again, we have to keep in mind, let's not confuse enjoyment of hearing sermons with being reconciled to God. Those are distinct matters. We find in the Bible that there were those who enjoyed preaching, but it's not necessarily the same as having saving faith. Mark chapter 6 and verse 20. When he, Herod, heard him, John the Baptist, Herod was very perplexed. But then listen to this. But he used to enjoy listening to him. Isn't that strange? The guy who commanded John the Baptist to be beheaded enjoyed listening to John's preaching. Herod enjoyed what John said, but he did not repent. He, did not, he was not reconciled to God through the mediator of Jesus Christ. Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 32. Ezekiel complains that the people of God view him as almost like a beautiful opera singer. They love to listen to the sound of his voice. But if you've ever listened to opera, if it's in Italian, you don't know what they're saying, do you? And you might enjoy it musically, but it's still meaningless to you in terms of what is being sung. And Ezekiel was complaining about that in his day, that the people of God, they listen to me because they, they like the oratory effect uh, upon them, but they do not, they are not reconciled through Christ as mediator. Now, 
Let's look at verse 21, because this is where we bore down more into the specific work of Christ as the mediator, at least his chief work as mediator. In verse 21, we read the following. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. First of all, what do we see here? We see a sinless Savior, Jesus as the mediator between sinful man and a holy God. He must be a man, but he must be a man who is holy in order to satisfy both parties. Jesus as a mediator must be without sin. This is why Jesus must be conceived by the Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Those who deny the virgin birth are denying the impeccability of Jesus. And so we must maintain uh, the sinlessness of Christ and therefore his miracle of conception and birth. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus was holy, blameless, undefiled. The Council of Nicaea put it, very God of very God in 381 A.D. The Apostle John began his gospel with the words that the Word who was Christ, the Word was with God and the Word was God. In John chapter 1 and verse 9, John again says that Christ was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. In Isaiah 6, we are told that Christ is holy, holy, holy. We see how Jesus had the power to forgive sin. He tells the man, remember boys and girls, how the paralyzed man couldn't get in the house and his friends tore up the roof and they lowered the paralyzed man down. And the very first thing Jesus says to him is what? Your sins are forgiven. And the people began to think, who can forgive sins but God? Well, that, that is right. For he was fully God. He is without sin. Jesus was willing to receive worship from people. He, you know, the, the apostles rebuked men who fell down and tried to worship them or tried to offer a sacrifice when they were in uh, the Mediterranean region in Greece. And, uh, and yet Jesus never did that. He never rebuked anybody who worshipped him. The Old Testament prophecies that were attributed to Jehovah are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So many passages show us the sinlessness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But it, that would, alone is not sufficient. Um, it is necessary, but there's more that needs to be accomplished if Christ is going to serve as a mediator between these two parties of a sinful people and a holy God. And that leads us to the second thing we see here in verse 21, that he must be a substitute. As a mediator, he is going to have to be a substitute for us. Look again at our text. He made him, the Father made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sinned. That is the sinless Savior had to substitute himself in the place of sinners so that our sin would be imputed to him. 
Notice it says, on our behalf. Christ had to have no sin so that he could wear the things that we're ashamed of in our life. It was necessary for him to be sinned. If Jesus has sinned, he can't bear our sin. So what we see here is that this, um, what we, this is what we call congregation substitutionary atonement. Okay, And it means just kind of what it says. It, Christ as mediator is substituting himself in order to atone for sin here. Christ substitutes himself in the place of sinful man, and our sins are placed on him. He who knew no sin becomes sin. And God judges Christ. And therefore, Christ substitutes himself in that he interposes between us and a holy God who is angry at sin. And Jesus bears that sin and its consequences, the wrath and the judgment. And so we even sing in the hymn about how Jesus interposed himself before us. A sinless Savior would mediate between these two parties by interposing his own person. He would live as your substitute. Jesus would die as your substitute. The sin is transferred to Christ. The, The sin, the shame, the guilt of all of God's people's sins are all imputed to the Lord Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin becomes the embodiment of sin. And this sin is terrible. You can imagine uh, all the sins. We don't know how large the elect are, but we know it's a, John describes it as innumerable. You know, it can't be numbered. And you think of every person and all the sin placed on Jesus Christ. This was all, the mediatorial work of Jesus was foreshadowed in the law. As we saw this morning, the priest and the worshiper would come together. And the worshiper with the priest would bring the substitutionary animal, the innocent animal, And the worshiper or the priest would lay their hands on the head of the animal. The animal would be sacrificed and offered on the altar in that place. That was a picture of substitutionary atonement. Look at Isaiah chapter 53. Substitutionary atonement was well known to the Old Testament church as well as the New Testament. In Isaiah chapter 53... Isaiah speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that you see so clearly in this chapter is that Jesus as a mediator stands between God and his people and that he takes his people's sin and punishment. Now, it begins, if you look at verse 2, he grew up before him, Like a tender shoot. That's talking about Jesus there, boys and girls. Jesus grew up before the Father like a tender shoot. And like a root out of parched ground, he had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. That's not saying that Jesus wasn't pretty. It's not what it means. What it means there is that 
he just, you didn't say there was the king just because Jesus was walking down the street. He didn't come. He was king, but he didn't come in the form of a king where everybody saw immediately that he was the king. But rather what? He's a man of sorrows. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Now, here's the substitutionary part of this, the mediatorial work here. Surely our griefs he bore. What are your griefs? What are your sorrows? They're your sins. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. By his scourging, we are healed. So notice that Christ bears all the penalty, all the judgment, all the affliction, all the grief, all the sorrow belongs to Christ. What do we get? We get all the blessing. We get the forgiveness. We get the reconciliation. We get the imputation of righteousness. Verse 6, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that is silent before its shears, he did not open his mouth. And it goes on. It talks about his burial in the tomb of the rich man. But look at verse 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. You know, that's one of the verses that comes to mind when we take the Lord's Supper. And I think about, you know, as you take the bread and you eat it, that, that phrase here is that he was crushed, even as that bread uh, is crushed in our own mouth. So Christ was crushed. The Father was pleased to crush Christ, putting him to grief. He would render himself as a guilt offering. He will see his offsprings. He will prolong his days. And for the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper his hand so that there will be blessings that come uh, from this work of Jesus Christ here. So Isaiah is prophesying a substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. This too is important. Many liberals have denied substitutionary atonement. Uh, they don't like the fact that God is wrathful. Uh, some think it's awful that a father would make his son shed his blood uh, for, you know, for others. And uh, so there's been widespread rejection of what I'm preaching here in mainline churches. Rather, they think Christianity, the essence of Christianity, is not here in the mediatorial substitutionary atonement of Jesus, but rather it is that you become like Jesus, that you learn to sacrifice yourself for others. Uh, they, they, they would say that that's the essence uh, of Christianity, that Jesus was not a substitutionary um, figure for us so much as an example for us. Does that make sense? And, and therefore, what they do is they make Jesus the first Christian rather than making him a savior uh, for us. And it's a, it is a distortion um, of, of the gospel here. So uh, G, John the Baptist, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, in fact, called Jesus the Lamb of God. That was very intentional. He calls him the Lamb of God. John the Baptist knew Isaiah 53 very well. This is the Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sins of the world. 
and that, that would have been common knowledge to Jews who saw lambs sacrificed all the time at the temple. But notice here, going back to our text, one more thing uh, before we close here. Notice here that Christ is a substitute for us, a mediatorial substitute for us in his death. But notice that what is the last phrase of verse 21. It reads this, He made him who knew no sin to become sin, to be sin on our behalf. Then now listen to this, So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What is Paul saying here? Well, he is saying that Jesus, as our mediator, not only has borne the wrath and curse of God according to the law of God on our behalf, but now he also, as mediator, is giving to you, the offending party, the righteousness that you need so that the other party, namely God, will accept you. So that God will receive you because you have a righteousness that is alien to you, a righteousness that was earned and merited by Jesus and given to you. So this idea of Jesus standing between us and God is very important, not only so that Christ can bear the sin and the judgment, but that also Christ can hand over his righteousness to us and that we could find favor in God's sight. Listen to Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. Paul says there, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. Now, this is a guy who was a former Pharisee. This is a guy who spent his whole youth and early adulthood trying to produce a righteousness that would be acceptable to God. Not having a righteousness of my own, says Paul, derived from the law. That was my former life. But now he says, but that which is through faith in the mediator, through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, Philippians 3.9. Then you have Romans chapter 3, verse 26. Therefore God is the justifier of him who has faith in Jesus. God justifies sinners, declares them righteous, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to them and received by what? Faith alone. Thank you, catechism. That that God justifies us on the base of the mediatorial work of Jesus Christ, and only for the sake of Christ. Romans chapter 3, verse 28. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Now that means by faith alone. You ever watch the old black and white Martin Luther movie? Watch the old one. The, The color newer one is good too, but the old black and white one I like better. Because I think it, it really pounds the pulpit harder on the issue of justification. If you remember, Martin Luther has that moment where he finally realizes the gospel. And he takes his 
pen, his quill, and he dips it in the ink. And in, in the Bible, he writes, alone, next to this verse that they are justified by faith. But that alone, though it's not there in the Greek, but it is there theologically. You need to understand that. Theologically, it is. That's what it means to have faith apart from the works of the law. It means that faith alone is the instrument of, by which we are declared righteous in the sight of God. There are, there are two parties involved. They are at enmity one with another. God's enmity towards us is justified. Ours towards him is not. The only way that this reconciliation will take place is through the Son, Jesus Christ, and our faith in Him. Even that faith, though, is a gift from God. We're told in Ephesians, lest we should boast. So the, the instrument by which we are justified is faith alone. That's important because I'm discovering as a pastor what is old is new. That Some of the controversies, some of you younger men need to hear this, there were controversies with, particularly with Federal Vision and New Perspective on Paul, etc., that it's about 20-some years old now. But what I'm discovering, unfortunately, is some of those who were like 11 or 6 at the time that those controversies first broke out, some of them are now falling to those same errors again. And I'm seeing it on the Internet here. So I, I, I want to emphasize here this that faith alone is the instrument uh, of our standing here uh, with God. Based, because when it is faith alone, then it is, is Christ alone. Let me close simply by asking you to be reconciled, me to be reconciled to God, that we make sure that we are reconciled. We are in a reconciled state through our relationship with Jesus Christ. I offer Jesus to you and myself tonight. And urge you and me to take Jesus Christ alone as our substitute. Take Jesus Christ. Take his life tonight. Take his righteousness tonight. Take his death on the cross tonight. Take his resurrection tonight. Take his ascension tonight. Take the whole Christ. Take his saviorship. Take his lordship. Take Jesus the full man, or true man, maybe I should say, and true God. This is the Jesus Christ of the Bible, the Jesus who substituted himself for us in life, in death, in resurrection, in ascension, and in session at the right hand of the Father. This Jesus Christ is freely offered to the church worldwide this Lord's Day, that wherever the gospel is preached, Christ offers himself to sinners and to be reconciled on the basis of his mediatorial work, not on the basis of how good you are or how much good you've been trying to do for him or how faithful you've tried to be in the church. The basis on which we come to him is on the basis of Jesus Christ. We offer Jesus Christ and we offer him freely. We offer Jesus Christ promiscuously to all, for God would have us preach the gospel to all creatures everywhere. We know not who are the elect, and therefore we scatter our seed all over the place. We offer Jesus Christ. God says 
be reconciled to me through my son. Come to my son that you would have peace with me, says God. God is saying, you know, do not, do not be estranged from me. Why would you perish? I don't delight in the death of the wicked. More joyous in heaven over one sinner who what? Repents and believes on Jesus Christ. Then 99 who have no need of repentance. Amen.